On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. So today we have the pleasure of chatting with Tracy Garvis Graves. Tracy is the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and international best-selling author of contemporary fiction. Her debut novel, On the Island, spent nine weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, has been translated into 35 languages, and is in development with MGM and Temple Hill Productions for a feature film. She's also the author of Uncharted, Covet, Every Time I Think of You, Cherish, Heart-Shaped Hack, White Hot Hack, and The Girl He Used to Know. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Tracy. We're so excited to have you. What great titles. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited because I'm a huge fan of your podcast. So this is just really fun for me. Oh, gosh, we love it. Yeah. So why don't we start by having you tell our listeners a little bit about your new novel, Heard It in a Love Song. Okay, well, Heard It in a Love Song is the book that I wanted to read that I wasn't really finding. And all of my books kind of fit that same description. I wanted to read a book about characters who were in a different season of their lives, who were a little bit older. Both of the characters are in their mid to late 30s. And I wanted to explore the theme of how to start over again after a divorce, not just romantically or relationship-wise, but what did each individual character hope to have in their own personal transformations? I wanted to focus a little more on the heroine because I do write contemporary women's fiction, but I thought it was just as important to explore the hero's journey and how he reacted to the things that had happened in his prior relationship and really with both of the characters. I wanted to see how their prior relationships impacted and affected the choices they made going forward. So I wasn't really finding that. So I decided to write it. I love that, giving us an insight into what we would want to know, what a woman would want to know about what the man is going through and giving him much more dimension than we're used to seeing as well, right? From the singular point of view. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. I love that. Thank you. We do focus on the complicated women of fiction and Layla certainly qualifies as a complicated woman in our point of view. She has a job that she loves at the elementary school music teacher, friends who care about her and a comfortable life, but she finds herself on the other side of divorce wondering now what is this it who am I now I think all questions women have had to reckon with. She's rediscovering a part of her past that she's long suppressed, that of a rock star, which we love, lead singer in a very popular local band. When she talks about what she feels like on stage, the freedom and the joy of performing, it made me think of the ways women compromise parts of themselves to conform to some standard, uh, certainly adulting, right? Or, Or growing up, like this is what we have to set aside. And we'd like to hear more about your development of Layla and the struggle you wanted to explore to find your authentic self, which is, I think, a constant theme on this podcast. Sure. It's a subject that's very important to me and relevant, not only in my own life. I am divorced myself and got divorced a few years ago, and I don't have any kind of 
hobby or something in my prior relationship or my prior life that I'm trying to resurrect in any way. But it did make me really start to think about how women I know, women I'm close to, have put certain things aside to get married, raise their children. I have two children, an 18-year-old and a 22-year-old. And and I just remember those years of birth up until they get pretty self-sufficient that I, I took on a fair share, probably more of my share of the parenting. And so even though Layla doesn't have children, I wanted to explore how women like her put certain parts of their lives aside you know, I'll do that later. I will get to that later. And in my own case, I wrote my first book at 44 because that was something I had set aside. And it was something I could have easily done while married. There was no reason I had to set it aside, but I was I wasn't just going to say, I'm glad you didn't give her children because that is such an obvious excuse. And usually it's not the kids. It's not, that's not why we put it aside. It's because we're scared of it or we don't want to look at it. And the kids are a wonderful distraction to ignore things that we, we want to ignore. Yeah. You're shaking your head. Yes. I explored in the book what it means to be in a different season. And for Layla, she's going through a particularly hard season. And I remember going through hard seasons of my own, especially when my second child was born. And I really realized what being super exhausted felt like. So I didn't want to give her children, which also I struggled with a little bit because I was kind of wondering if readers would think to themselves, why didn't she leave her obviously horrible husband earlier? She didn't have children. Why didn't she just cut and run? But I wanted to explore the the theme that sometimes it's one thing to admit to ourselves that maybe things aren't working, but it's a whole other thing to announce to the world that this Mm. isn't working. So she stayed. She stayed longer than she really wanted to. And she kept giving Liam the benefit of the doubt. And she kept, and then he kept acting exactly the same way he had always acted. And sometimes I think for women, the man you meet and date does not always remain that same man as you marry and go on. And that works for women as well. It is not just the husband, it's both partners. And sometimes those things just don't work out and they can't be sustainable for the long haul. So I wanted to explore what it was that really lit Layla up around the time before she met Liam and then in their early days of their relationship. And they had this common ground and you know he was this like she jokes about him being a groupie for her band and and she's in her element. You know, she is she has this creative outlet and she loves it and she frankly she likes the attention. She likes the adoration of the crowd. It's very fulfilling to her. And then through the book I slowly show how that just gets chipped away until finally she reached her breaking point. Although I don't want to give any spoilers, but the reason she does finally leave her breaking point makes me kind of sad that we have to wait for something so significant to happen before we feel like we can leave. I I feel like that is something I hear all the time. Like, Uh, he's not that bad. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All the time. What could he do to make me leave? I'm like, you know, that's not the requirement. What horrible thing could the person do? Because otherwise, you know, it's fine. What a great way to say it, Kate. Yeah. You know? That should not be the test. Yes. You shouldn't have to have this final hill that you won't die on before you leave. And I yes. I really kind of struggled with that, with Layla's character, because I was trying to think to myself, would she really have stayed that long? She didn't have children. It kept getting worse and worse. But I know that women can sometimes be fixers too. Like I've got a lot of stuff invested in this relationship. I have time. We've moved to different houses. I've gotten this other career. I just think exploring the reasons why women want to leave and then what ultimately makes them leave. And then even more fascinating to me is what happens after they leave. I love that part. I just love her 
And this might to some seem like a mundane detail, but just her own home, setting up her own home and deciding how she wanted to furnish it and that it was within her budget and, and how she wanted to create this music room for herself. So I really, really loved Layla. I really yes. did. Yeah, yeah, I loved Layla yeah. too. And I love that you made her a singer, that that is sort of the thing that she's recapturing from her past. Corinne knows that if I could be anything in the world, in my next life, it would be a singer. And that I also have an obsession with like singers and songwriters. I also, P.S., have no singing talent, so there's no hope for me on that. We covered Daisy Jones and the Six on the podcast on a regular episode, and we talked about my admiration for Taylor Jenkins Reid and, and her ability to sort of capture the allure of performers, but also my amazement that she could write lyrics, that she wrote an entire fictional album for that novel. But you have managed to do that, too. And so first, I just wanted to ask, how hard was it to write the song lyrics? Because I tried once. I wrote a novel and song lyrics I thought it was hard but you nailed it so how hard was it for you it wasn't hard at all oh see there you, I figured I loved they're it great. I like they're great songs I thank you I actually have one that's going to go in my newsletter I have the lyrics to stick shifting which is a song that she and yes. Brian also sang that, that I didn't it didn't make it into the book but the lyrics are going to go in a newsletter I had a blast I cannot write music and I cannot play an instrument my daughter plays guitar and I remember just being so thrilled that somebody in the family could play an instrument so I don't know how to write the music but to me lyrics were just kind of a poem that that encapsulated the emotions that I felt the singers would be able to convey when they were singing the song, but also when Layla took her turn at it, because earlier in the book, she had kind of diminished herself, well, I don't write music, you know, as if it's just, again, as if women have to constantly apologize for not doing a certain thing in something that they're under... Right. Not just try it. Just earn it. Yeah. So the other songs obviously were Brian's and then the stick shifting song and then thankful at the end. I just wanted the lyrics to encapsulate what Layla was feeling by the end of the book. What had she learned along her journey and what was important to her? And I was hoping that the readers would really hone in on the words and understand why I chose them. But it was super fun. I mean, if I had to put music along with it, I would fail. I would not be able to do that. But lyrics, I can handle. Yeah. And I loved the last song. So that was the, I really connected with that. So, so you did it. Thank you. So I'm curious also just about your personal connection to music. I always find it remarkable how a song can sort of take you back to a place in time, or as you said, how a lyric can really like tap into an emotion. And there's a part in the book where Layla remembers back to hearing a song when she was on her way to the hotel after she left her husband, Liam. And it was the Dixie Chicks version of Landslide, Fleetwood Max song originally, which like Layla has always been one of my favorite songs. And I'm literally going to embarrass myself now, but I was listening. (laughs) I was doing a Dixie Chicks ride on Peloton, which I highly recommend for chick. It's now chicks, the chicks. Yes. Yes. But I was doing a chicks ride on Peloton and that song came on. And even though I've heard it a million times before, I literally started to cry while riding the bike at the same lines that you say made Layla cry, which is, can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my life? And Layla doesn't have the answers, neither do I. But the fact that the song and those lines from the song gave voice 
you know, to her questions really struck me. And the title of this novel, of course, is Heard It in a Love Song. So I have to believe that you have a real connection to music and lyrics. So I'd love to hear more about that. Oh my gosh, it's huge. I mean, it is just huge. I was raised listening to classic rock. My dad, I always thought it was really cool that my dad had (laughs) eight tracks of Queen and Night at the Opera and Kansas and uh, Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell. Just all of these songs that I grew up listening to, including the Marshall Tucker Band, where the song title and the book title are the same because Heard It in a Love Song is one of my favorite songs. But I have just always been a music lover. In college, I always wanted to have the radio on and my roommate always wanted to have the TV on. And I could live without a TV. I don't have to have a TV. I really don't, but I have to have music. Music is just something, I just love it. And if you asked my friends, they would tell you, she knows the name, the title and the the artist of every song. You you cannot stump her. Because I just listen to, to music all the time. And I raised my children to listen to classic rock. And I, de- I dedicated this book to my 22-year-old son because he is as big a classic rock lover and music lover as I am. He would rather have music on than anything. So music has just been always something in my life that I have to have. And then the Dixie Chicks version and Fleetwood Mac's version. I mean, I love them both for different reasons, but I remember hearing those same lyrics at a time in my life when I was struggling horribly. I had just given birth to my second child and it was November. She was born November 20th. So it was probably, might even have been the first of December. We were having all these breastfeeding issues and I had to take her to the doctor and I took my son with me. And I remember just thinking, and that song came on and I just started bawling (laughs) because I was like, I don't know if I can get through this. I'm so tired and it's so dark out early. And I, I just, I'd give, I think I'd given birth like maybe three weeks before. And so that song to this day is always what pops into my head when I'm going through a hard season. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give it to Layla. Fleetwood Mac, first of all, is a band yeah. that they might be my very yeah. favorite band of all time. But I was a huge Chicks fan too. I mean, yeah. huge. So I don't know. I, when I was writing the book, I just thought, you know, I'm going to give Layla those lyrics because they helped me because I realized yeah. just like Layla, the hard seasons do pass eventually. Yeah. They really do. You can get through them. Yes. Mm-hmm. How about Taylor Swift? Are you getting on board with her? What? Good? Bad? I, I love her. I, okay. I, so okay. I just, okay. Yes. Okay, I, 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 I can't even, I mean, folklore, when folklore came out, yeah. folklore yeah. is like the soundtrack of my the end of the pandemic or the the final six months of the pandemic, which was really difficult for me because I was selling my house last summer, the house that we all lived in, the four of us had lived in for 16 years that I stayed in. And so I had a lot of feelings about packing up that house. I had to go through all of the kids' artwork and just everything that we had ever had. And so Folklore came out and I've always been a fan. I took my daughter to a concert when she was probably eight or nine, but I didn't become a super fan until Folklore. I yeah. yeah. I, I just, and then Evermore, I, I, I love her. Yeah. Yeah, we have been fans, but when Folklore came out, that was the first time we actually did an episode on an album, and we did it with the chicks Gaslighter, and we have an episode on it, because, I mean, it's like a novel. I mean, it's storytelling at its finest, literally. Yeah, she's really telling a story. It's a masterclass in storytelling. I was saying that to a couple of my friends, and they're like, looking at me like, I don't know what that means. I'm like, you have to listen to the lyrics. It's a masterclass in storytelling. You're missing out (laughs) if you don't get that. Oh, I love that. Music is big in our house too. And 
to my husband's and probably your chagrin, my kids are very into pop music, just whatever is popular. But if you choose game night, I mean, game night is always like something on YouTube that has lyrics. They want to guess lyrics. They want to guess years. They want to guess artists. Yeah. Anyway, back to the novel. You do another one of my favorite things, which is use a dual timeline. You show the past of both main characters, Layla and Josh, and you get to see what went wrong in their marriages, how that affects them and what they're bringing forward into their new relationship in the present. And in allowing us to see those flashbacks, you give us a very relatable window into the end of marriage and how lonely that can be, which is something Kate and I have been talking about with some of the other shows and and books and movies we've been watching. It seems to be a theme that is really coming out maybe post-pandemic. I don't know what it is, but you wrote Layla had been lonely for years while she was married and she'd take being alone over lonely any day. And Josh also talks about the ennui of a long-term relationship and how people stop trying to find things that connect them and ways to reach out. It's insidious, the connection often waning over years and not in one big dramatic moment, as we've kind of already been discussing, but it makes it harder to reverse once it's really infected the relationship. You nailed the feelings around this and what goes wrong. And in the end, Layla, like Layla references, it's the indifference that ruins the thing, isn't it? This is something you obviously have thought about a lot and wanted to explore. I'd love to hear more about it from you. I just, first of all, I struggled with how to tell this story because I knew that I wanted to put not just brief flashbacks. I didn't really want Layla and Josh to be telling each other what happened in their relationships. I wanted to immerse the reader in actually what happened, which made structure very difficult because I wanted to make sure that what was happening in the past was impacting the present as a storyline and the present was moving along. So I had to make the past, when we would read a section in the past, well, what is happening now in the present that is being impacted by the past? And some readers really don't like flashbacks. They really don't like being immersed. I do like that because I have done dual timelines before and I think it adds a little bit to the story if you can actually go back in time and see what's happening. What made it difficult was just knowing how to structure that. So we kind of ended up having to be in the present and then going back into these italicized sections, which my editor and I had a lot of discussions about how to do this the best way. And that's what we decided on. But I wanted the reader to slowly see, I actually use this analogy in the book, how Layla is that frog in that pot of water that's cold and that gradually just warms up until it's so hot, she has no choice but to get out. And again, I see this a lot in my own circle of friends. I I see this in, in people that I acquainted with, how sort of that indifference can build and build and build. So I really wanted to explore it. I know that when you write contemporary fiction with a happily ever after, like I do, which is my tagline, sometimes it can be really hard to get the romance in for the new relationship while also exploring the women's fiction part of the story, which I also love. So that's what I tried to do. I even at one point contemplated letting Kimberly and Liam narrate the past sections as the present was unfolding and then my head exploded and then I realized that that was (laughs) it just wasn't going to actually I'm not exactly sure why I abandoned that idea but I did think that would be really cool because everybody has a different take I was just going to say everybody's got a different point of view of what went Mm -hmm. wrong yep and yep if you listen Mm -hmm. to Liam and Kimmy they might have a different well they absolutely would have a different Mm -hmm. take on it but Mm -hmm. I ended up obviously not doing 
doing that, but hopefully the reader can get a really good sense of what went wrong and what both of the characters want to take into their futures. Yeah. I think you have to do it by immersing because otherwise, what do you say? Like, we just stopped trying. And it's a one line and nobody really gets what it feels like to be in that. So I'm glad that you did that. I happen to really love dual timelines and I love, I mean, when I think of like the old school, like when I learned in college creative writing, like don't do flashbacks because it's you're detracting from what you need to say now. But these days, storytelling is so much of immersing yourself in the past to realize how you got to where you are right now. I love it. I agree. The fiction rules, I've been breaking them since my debut novel. So I just tell the story the way I think I can tell it the best. And I'm never going to please everyone. So I just tell it in what I hope is a clear way so that the reader can understand and then take from it. I, I think there's going to be people for whom this book will absolutely resonate. They will completely feel relatable, feel like the subject matter is relatable. And there are some that won't at all, but that's the way it is for all of my novels. So Yeah. Speaking of your other novels, um, your prior novel, The Girl He Used to Know, was a second chance love story. And I loved that novel and have always been a huge fan. Yeah, it was so good. I loved that. Thank you. I've always been a huge fan of, you know, the one that got away or a second chance at love. And with Heard It in a Love Song, you've now sold me on the Friends to Lovers story. It really is like a slow burn. You know, it's like simmering heat that warms gradually versus that prior spark getting reignited with a second chance kind of one that got away story. And you said, I've heard you say this and you just said it now that you write contemporary fiction with a happily ever after. And we talked with another author about how happiness is subversive and how it's actually harder to write a happy ending than a tragic one. And I'm curious your thoughts about that since that is sort of your tagline and why you think you're drawn to the happily ever after. Well, real quickly before I get to that point, I love that you liked the friends to lovers and that it was a slow simmering burn. It was also written during a pandemic and it was, I don't think I could have written anything that was not sort of a a quieter. Usually I can block out everything that's happening in the world, but there was a lot going on. And I just wanted a story that had a little less drama and a little less angst. And a friends to lovers journey fit that very, very well, because there wasn't going to be this huge spark of anything. They had a lot of things that were happening behind the scenes. And then those little sparks grew into a bigger ember and then fire by the end. But the truth is also they are only friends, not because they don't feel something, but because they've been too hurt and they don't want to get into this, right? So you know that they're holding back and you wait for the moment when they unleash on each other, right? That's the tension. Well, absolutely. And that brings me to the second point. So it's really hard to write a happy ending when you don't have the story that starts out with this giant bang. And also because I do straddle the line and, and mash together the happily ever after of romance, which I love, but the more focused on the heroine journey from women's fiction, it can be hard to come up with a happily ever after. It would be much easier to just make them go their separate ways at the end and it didn't work out, but they learned a lot about each other and what they wanted along the way. But I can't do that. As, as a reader, as a writer, as the author, I need that 
cherry on top at the end. I need to show that in a relatable, hopefully not over the top way, very realistic, organic, slow and steady growth of the relationship. I want the ending to feel like, okay, we want these people together. We don't have to go any further than where they're at right now. We're, they're taking it slow. Now we see where they're at. I think sometimes there's the temptation to wrap everything up. Did they get married? Did they go on? Did they have another, you know, all of those, I didn't want to answer. I noticed about my own writing that I feel less of a desire to tell everything that's going to happen later. So some have said, well, you don't write happily ever after. So you write happily for now. And that's fine. Yeah. I think the happily ever after and happily for now are both wonderful things. I don't need to time jump too far ahead in the future, but happily ever afters, they can be tricky depending upon how you want the story to end. But I always want the ending to feel like, okay, this makes sense. Yes. we. I think we all are very well aware now, especially post-pandemic, things can change. And happily ever after does not mean coast for the rest of your life. Like nothing will happen. And so... It really does mean for now. Yeah. Really, that's all we're all doing right now. We're all happy <laughs> exactly. for now. Yes. We don't know what's going to happen. And that might just be my really wanting to honor the genre of romance because I do love it so much. So I do want there to be that happily ever after for myself and for my readers but they're becoming a bit more ambiguous as I continue to write. I mean, it's kind of interesting watching how my writing changes over the 10 years that I've been published and the stories I want to tell now and how that's changing a little bit. But when I get ready to write a book, I always know the ending before I start writing. And so I always knew how it was going to end. But then I always like enjoying the the surprises that pop up along the way. So and I had some of those, you know, and happily ever after in some in romance, typically is the guy and the girl get together. But to me, with this, why I'm happy in the end is principally because Layla has sort of grown. She's mm. gone back to this thing that she loves. She's found herself and who she really is, and she's getting more confident. And same for Josh, honestly. he's The fact that they've sort of worked through their own issues but are finding who they want to be going forward, I mean, that's what makes me happy for them. I mean, I also like a happy yes. ending where people get together. But, you know, I think you've really sort of nailed that part of the the happy ever, for now. Well, thank you. And the title, Heard It in the Love Song, I don't know if readers will see this clearly, but the love song that Layla heard the words in was the one she wrote. Hmm. So she heard it in a love song, the song that she wrote at the end. She finally heard herself, what she'd been looking for, what had been missing, and how she arrived at that point in her life where she's standing up there in front of everyone singing the song that she wrote that is the love song oh i'm referring God. to Kate, yes. that's like yes yeah. i love it and that's why i love that song at the yeah. end yeah. and the lyrics thank you yeah well, we'd love to hear, you've talked a little bit about, you just mentioned that when you are starting to write a new book, you know the ending first. I'd love to talk a little bit more about your process. And that can be the big picture or the smaller picture. You know the ending first. Do you write in bursts or do you have a certain amount every day? What is your writing process like? So I'm an outliner. And even my outlines, when I first start outlining a book, it's really just opening up a Word document and dumping things into it. Ideas, scraps of dialogue, a plot point. Really, I just kind of let my creative brain start working on the story. I listen to a lot of music. I have to write in total silence, but when I'm thinking about a book, sometimes I just get in my car and drive around and listen to music, and then my brain sort of opens up a little bit, and I might be at a stoplight trying to 
voice dictate something yeah, into my I phone so I don't want to lose it. <laughs> yeah. I can do that for up to a month. Maybe I'm doing some light research. Maybe the character names will come to me. And then when I feel like I have enough to really start putting together a good beat sheet, then I will do that. I will start trying to think about my arcs. I will think about what do the characters want the most and how do I prevent them from getting it until the point where I do want to give it to them. So what can I do to put obstacles in their way of what they want? What is the chemistry between the two characters? What is the thing that brings them together? What's the thing that keeps them together? So I do a lot of that kind of thing. And when I finally have gotten to the point where it's starting to feel like procrastination, then I start drafting. And I write an awful, horribly messy I don't even want to call it a first draft. It's like a zero draft. And then at some point in time, I realized that I could probably go back and start taking this zero draft into a first draft. And then I just kind of go from there. If I have enough of the background down and the research and I know what I'm doing, I can usually write 2,000 words a day pretty easily. Sometimes in 45 minutes, sometimes it might take all day, but I can get the 2,000 words a day. And then if I can get to a point where I only have to do that Monday through Friday, that really helps me because then I can take the weekend to recharge a little bit and then go back. So I usually write several drafts though. The first draft, I tell the story to myself. I tell myself to stop freaking out. And that's where that inner editor and that you're not good at this starts to happen. And I try to ignore that because there are times during the writing process where I think this is awful. This isn't even going to be a book. I don't even know what I'm doing here. It's amazing after 10 books that this is still, (laughs) it just is part of the process. It is. And I've had books that were harder to write. The Girl He Used to Know is the hardest book I've ever written. And you would think it would be my first one, but it wasn't. It was The Girl He Used to Know. That was really tough. The one I'm writing right now, I can't hardly keep up with it. It's coming out of me so fast. And I've had that happen before too. And I just, I guess I never know what I'm going to get. But one thing that I have finally figured out this many books in is that it really pays to wait for the strong idea to start talking loudly. I find myself now that people are always like, when's the next book coming out? You know, how long do we have to wait? That my creative brain sometimes thinks, oh, we've got to come up with an idea right now. But those are the ones that I don't end up writing because they're just, they're not coming from that strong creative place that they need to come from. So... And how do you know? You just, is it a feeling or do you work on it? Do you run it by someone? How do you know when you've gotten that? I don't always. Sometimes I have to write it and then I realize, oh, that did not translate into the way it looked in my head onto the page. But sometimes I do have a feeling. And if I can get that feeling, that is the most joyous experience as a writer that I can have because I know it's solid. I know it's good. It's exciting. But sometimes getting to that point, Like with the girl who used to know, again, it was a hard book for me to write. And I did everything in my power to procrastinate writing that book. But once I had written the first 20,000 words, I was all in. But it took about that long for me to fall in love with it. I don't know if it was just because it was difficult structurally. And obviously, Annika was a character so near and dear to me. And I just wanted to do her justice. And I was really worried about not being able to do it well enough. So there was a little bit of that fear intruding on my creative process. Once I knocked that out of the way... I was good to go. So every book is different. Every book has some sort of hurdle I have to get over creatively or fear that I have to put aside. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. The challenge that you know, it's what you know you're facing as a writer. That could be just as much as not the characters or the plot or the beats or anything. It, It could also be part of your fear in looking at this. Yes, especially during times of a global pandemic when selling your home. It feels like this giant, daunting task. Like, sometimes I think to myself, 
how have I written books before? There's a lot of words I have to write. Oh my gosh, I have to write 320 to 340 pages. How will I ever do this? But a couple of my writer friends and I always joke about, you're gonna do it the same way you eat an elephant. You're gonna do it one bite at a time. So sometimes I'm like, one bite at a time. I'm taking one bite at a time. I can do this. I'm just going to keep eating it. And then eventually I eat the elephant and it's fine. But but sometimes it is really difficult. It's just, it feels, sometimes at times it feels more daunting than at other times. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier that you wrote your first book at 44. How did that happen? If it's something that you knew you wanted to do, but you had put it aside or did it just appear to you then? How did that happen? How did you know you wanted to write then? And actually, I was 42 when I started writing it. It was four, I was 44 when it was published. Okay. I had a bucket list item. I just wanted to see if I could write a novel. And I guess in some ways that does parallel Layla's journey a little bit. Not because I couldn't have tried to write the book earlier, but because I just didn't. But I got to the point where I thought, you know, the kids are in school now. I had gone back to work. I had been a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. And then when they went back to school, when my youngest went to school, my, my older child went back to school, I went out and went back to work in human resources where I'd been working before I had the children. And I just kept thinking to myself, you know, if you want to write that book, you better just figure out how to do that now. Because if you don't just do it, it's not going to happen. And of course, probably a lot of people know by now that I had a crazy bananas idea that I decided I would write for my debut novel. But the idea just wouldn't go away. It just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And since I was just going to write it for myself, I thought, you know, there's no harm in just writing this book for yourself. So I would get up every day at 5 a.m. and take a shower and I would go down and write for an hour and a half before I got the kids up and ready for school. And then my husband would put them on the bus. I'd go to work and then I'd come home from work and they'd get off the bus. And I did that for about 18 months worth of that. And at the end of it, I had a book. I had my first novel. And I remember for me being really tired one time and my ex-husband saying, he was my husband at the time, saying, you've, you are, you've got to slow down. You're just going to get burned out. I mean, I was just exhausted. And I remember turning to him and saying, I just want something for myself. I just yes. want something for myself. And, oh, and he yeah. was completely supportive. He was a wonderful yeah. support yeah. system while, you know, and when he still he was now, just concerned, uh, it sounds yeah, like. I mean, <laughs> I, I was back to work full time and, and we had two children who were, you know, eight and 11 or seven and 10. I can't remember exactly how old they were at different times of the drafting process, but I just really felt strongly about kind of looking around one day and being so happy with my family and knowing, and maybe a lot of people know this and don't admit it out loud, like I'm about to, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. I needed something for me, something else to do. By the way, you're right that most people won't say that out loud, but that is sad and terrible that we feel shame to have something for ourselves. That is one of the most important things that we try to change the narrative on. I mean, it's insane that we think it's okay to not have something for ourselves, that just pouring ourselves into our kids or our career or one any one thing that we've made the central part of our lives, that that's enough. It's just not. It's not enough for anyone. I agree. I agree a thousand <laughs> million percent. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. I remember very distinctly looking around my kitchen 
kitchen and the kids were probably upstairs in bed and I was probably loading the dishwasher or something. And I was content, but I wasn't as fulfilled yes. as I needed to be. Right. Yes. Right. Content versus fulfilled. Because right, when you do have a good relationship, children that you love and everything's working out, content is pretty easy. But being fulfilled, being on fire, being passionate about, even if it's something little, passionate doesn't have to be this all consuming, you know, thing that takes over your life. Passion can just be like in these moments when I'm sitting here typing, I am so alive. That's how I felt. And you know, that family I was so happy about, they were my biggest cheerleaders. Yeah, my, my kids and my ex-husband, again, he was my husband at the time, they got behind it big time. I mean, my children would fight over who got to assist me at the next book signing. And uh, my mm-hmm. husband would be at work coming home every day and telling me, so-and-so read your book and this is what they said. And right. I thought it was really good for our family. It was nice for everybody yeah. to see that mom pursued something. Yes. And look how happy she is. And they were happy. I mean, it was just an overall, It was. it's been too to this day, the most joyous experience I've ever had. That first book, writing that book, crossing it off the bucket list. And, and then what happened afterward was just another one of those cherries on top. Yeah. Oh, now I I'm dying that. to get to Kate's next question because I'm yes, I'm sitting okay. here listening so, to her going, God, is she, I'm trying to guess your astrological sign. But I mean, you know where we're going. I do know where we're going. I do know where we're going. <laughs> yes. You know where we're going, but I mean, hello, before we go there, we need to talk about how you have a scene in the the novel where Layla's talking with her co-workers and Thank her friend you. Annie shares her interest in astrology and she says that she needed something to hold on to and that astrology helps her to make sense of the world and she's embarrassed right she's a little embarrassed to share this passion of hers she admits she hides it from her husband and we understand Annie's pain okay oh. we've been trying to normalize astrology over here love uh, thank you love. and it seems as if through that scene, you must be with us. So, you know, we have to ask what's your sign and do you relate? But also, I mean, there's got to be more to why you have a character who's secretly revealing her passion for astrology. Tell us. Okay. Well, first of all, I have an Aquarius stellium. So I am an Aquarius sun, Mercury and Venus. Okay. And I'm a Taurus rising with a cancer moon. Oh my gosh. Okay. Cancer moon, Taurus rising. Oh my goodness. Okay, good. But a lot of Aquarius. Uh-huh. And then the Aquarius stellium. Yes. Yeah. And my ex-husband was a Leo, oh. by the way. I'm like cheering over here. I like him already. So I absolutely am astrology fan through and through. And I didn't really start studying it and following it until my divorce because I needed to make sense of a few things. And also, as I mentioned in the book, as the character mentions, she, you know, she was worried about her kids and she just needed to make sense of things. I, at that point in time, was parenting, primarily single parenting, two teenagers. And that's a scary phase of parenting nobody talks about. It's really anxiety provoking, or it was for me. Once they get those driver's licenses, it's just, oh. So I just, I don't know. I've always followed astrology. I don't know if you guys remember Cosmopolitan Magazine used to have this insert that came out in their magazine once a year. They don't do it anymore, but... And then I got back into it 
really heavily and I'm always on cafe astrology in the morning checking oh, yes. mm-hmm. and then the astro twins. I just love them. Yeah. And then I don't do a lot of Twitter. Twitter is my least favorite platform, but I follow several astrologers that I love on YouTube. And so oh. I'll listen to their videos while I'm walking. So that's not something, although I'm look at me now, that, that I really tell a lot of people <laughs> because it isn't some, I mean, some people, if you tell them that they kind of look at you like, yeah. really? Oh, really? Lots that's of people. Some, yeah. something lots you of do? People. They're like, oh. You can tell them we coerced you. Well, I was all, I was actually going to DM you on Instagram and be like, we have to talk about astrology because it's something that I love, love, love. And interestingly, I've pulled my birth chart. I have a twin sister and I pulled her chart and we have the exact same chart and we are so two completely different. different. I mean, we are just not alike. That is fascinating. That's yeah. crazy. I never thought about that. Yes. Yeah, we're five minutes apart. Right. Yeah. And so that would mean that it's not necessarily true that you'd have the exact same because the time of birth can affect it. But I guess with five minutes, that's right. Most of the signs are going to be Don't the same. Move. It yes. sounds like all of them are. Yeah. Yep. Everything. Every single thing in our chart is the same, but we couldn't be more different. Oh, wow. And that I pulled the charts for my kids. And yes. I just think Us it's... Too. It's just fun. It's a fun way to look into some insight into maybe why we are the way we are or why people in our lives are the way they are. And I find it fascinating. And that is a hill I will die on. I think think it's super fun. It really does, though, when you get to know some of the other signs, as you just talked about, your Mercury, your Venus, whatever, because people are too often go, well, I'm not. I'm a Leo, but I doesn't feel I don't seem like a Leo. I'm like, eh, there's a lot more there. Like, and check then your rising, yes. yeah, check your rising, or check, check your moon, moon or, you know. Or, I mean, I have a friend. I recently did hers, and her Mercury's in Scorpio, and I'm like, the way she communicates, I'm like, oh my god, this explains everything. Like, you know, it's just, yes. it does help you. We've even been doing it with some of the characters in books. We're like, oh, he's definitely this has gotta be his Venus, Venus is in Pisces. <laughs> Or like these people are listening to us like, okay, ladies. But I have had some success with people where I explain what that means. For example, I'm like, I feel like you're a Venus and Pisces. This, and I'm like, forget the source. Forget that I just told you it came from astrology. Do you relate to that? Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's what I'm like. Okay, oh, so forget where I told you it was from. You right. know, you just have to put that aside because exactly. it does resonate a lot. Right. Oh, totally. Yes. And I follow the transits for like career and home because those are two things that are obviously very, very important to me. And being able to see some of the things that have happened back in like 2011, 2012, when I wrote my first novel, it's all there. I mean, it makes total sense. I'm like, oh, maybe that's why I decided to try and check that bucket list item off. Right. Oh my gosh. I'm fascinated. This is amazing. The best astrology conversation we've had so far. (laughs) I was hoping so. I'm like, oh, just wait till they hear how much I love it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And it's clearly genuine and clearly something you've been, any resources that you have for us. Too many. (laughs) I don't know these YouTubers. It's never too much. Please email us. Katie has my email. Or DM, whatever. Yes. Please. Yeah, if you DM us, we'll both see it. (laughs) 
I have some favorites on YouTube and I just listen as I'm walking. I just listen to their, I don't usually ever watch their videos because I, I do most of my astrology and podcasting when I'm on my walks because I feel like, okay, I'm walking. So I'm not sitting at home on the couch. I'm going to combine these two things and that's my reward. So I always get excited when there's a new video or when you guys have a new podcast or something like that. So then I can walk and it'll go faster. Oh, I love that. Love it. Please share. Okay. So I will. And for our listeners who will not be privy to all of that additional information, what are you reading, watching, listening to that you're loving right now? So let's see here. For music, I'm just listening to some of my favorite Spotify playlists, and they're usually just classic rock. My son sent me one called Hippie Chill Vibes, and so it's like 26 hours of music. So if I run out of things to listen to, podcast or YouTube videos, I'll switch over to music. So that's on rotation all the time. I just started watching Ted Lasso because I am, I guess, completely behind. Behind. I have to watch it on my iPad because I have Amazon Fire TVs and they, I can't get the Apple app on it. So I have to watch it on my iPad and I don't enjoy that as much. Are you enjoying Ted Lasso? I am. I've only watched the first episode and okay. I, I know that I'm going to love it because I absolutely gravitate toward happy things. Mm-hmm. I am a Schitt's Creek. I am a Grace and Frankie. I am not somebody who's going to watch a lot of the more anxiety producing content or scary or I just, I like happy things. When I watch TV and I don't watch a lot of it, but when I do, I, I just want it to make me happy. So. Oh, well, Ted Lasso will deliver in spades for you. I haven't watched season two. I haven't watched season two, but season one for sure. Everybody has told me that. I finished watching this summer. I finished watching Younger. I was a huge fan of Younger. Oh, yeah. But Ted Lasso is the thing that I'll be watching the most. And then I am going to watch the second season of The Morning Show because I really loved season one. But also my guilty pleasure right now, I can't believe I'm going to embarrass myself by admitting it, but it's TikTok. Oh, yeah. I'm not on TikTok per se. I have an account. It's not my name. Yeah. And it has a profile (laughs) picture as a cat. I wanted something social media wise where I wouldn't feel pressured. Like if I saw someone's post, like I want to make sure I comment on it and I like it. And I just, I needed some place where I could go to completely zone out and have nothing. Like nobody knows it's me. I can just watch. So I have recipe TikTok and I follow like the funny animal. I mean, what about book talk? I'm not anywhere near book talk. Yeah. You're like, it's too close. If I see it. Yeah. Then I'll want to jump in and join. And to be honest, I don't really want to spend time filming cute videos and things because I'm not good at it. And I probably should, but I just really have found that I need to protect my space where I'm not creating, where I can just sort of be. Mm. And TikTok is that space right now. I I don't want to make it work. I want to just, I just want to laugh. I, I see videos of people falling down and I see really funny animal videos and that's what I do. So. I am obsessed oh. with dancing videos. Like when they yeah. do Love those. I, I don't oh know. Oh my gosh. I don't dance. I watch them anytime it comes up. I, I know. I click on them. Yeah. I want to, I want to learn yeah. them. Why does it seem as if everyone now knows how to dance better than I do? Like meaning that some of them I'm like, I where know. do you get these moves? Like I, I, I can't even, I'm not. And I understand now it's like a thing with the younger generation. But yes. I'm just, these are grown adults on there. I just, it seems to me like the whole world knows how to dance all of a sudden. And dance well. And dance well. <laughs> that's what I mean. And in sync and, and to the beat. I don't know, but I don't have that skill either. Like, where have you been hiding? Yes. I love the dance videos on TikTok. Whenever 
whenever a new one comes on the scene, I'm like, I'm going to learn that one. I never learn it, but I watch them. No, no, Uh, yeah, I'm just watching them too. That's great. That's great. Well, we love those recommendations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. We had so much fun chatting with you. And tell people where they can find you that's not incognito book talk. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. I have an author page. I don't do as much on my Facebook author page as I do on Instagram these days. I just really, really love Instagram. I do have a website, tracycarvisgraves.com. Those are pretty much the places that you can find me. I am on Twitter. I don't tweet a lot. I do answer answer tags and dms i think that's it well thank you and heard it in a love song is fantastic we're so excited for you it's this beautiful cover by the way which we didn't even talk about just stunning i just i can't even i can't even wrap my brain around that cover i think it's the most beautiful thing i've ever seen yeah and holding it is different than seeing a picture of it it's shimmery it like comes alive yeah yeah saint martin's just absolutely outdid themselves i've been so so fortunate with all of my covers i think they're all beautiful but when i saw this one i actually cried yeah and i kept saying i can't believe this i just can't believe this but yeah really excited for the book to come out and I was so excited to be here with the two of you today because I knew we were going to talk about astrology and I knew we were going to talk books and complicated women and it's really nice talking to people who just the whole women's journey thing but they're just they just get it they just have definitely thoughts and opinions on it and I love hearing them I feel like that's something I don't get to talk about enough so thank you oh well thank thank you you. because that's exactly what we're trying to do and we love that it's as common the woman's journey in love and in horror and in all of these uh, we cover every genre because it's all a part of our story yes I agree 100% well thank you thank you for listening This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at popfictionwomen.com or on Twitter at pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.